We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And on Saturday night, Lakers got a good win at Golden State. Golden State's a good home team. And Lakers toughed one out. It wasn't always pretty, but um, both teams, I thought, competed well on the defensive end. And just through the TV and with everything that's gone on, uh, Mike felt like the start of a new day. I could only imagine what it was like on the ground. Give us the scene of a start of a new era Lakers basketball. Well, I thought the team was clearly trying to make up for what happened on Darius's birthday since he was in the building. Uh, and <laughs> the energy was excellent. The vibe was excellent. Uh, you could tell there was a little bit of a renewal, which you would expect with all of the new players in. And I think that, you know, something that you don't always expect to see with new team and new players integrating is like really good late game execution. And mm -hmm. I think that, you know, the Lakers were able to do that. Uh, and D'Angelo Russell gets some credit for that. Uh, AD certainly was amazing defensively. And um, they were able to, to enact this, the kind of top lock enforce everything to the middle to AD pretty well against Golden State, who is is not a pick-and-roll team. I think that's a little harder to do with pick-and-roll teams sometimes. Mm -hmm. And so, like, that game plan worked really well on defense, and they were, like, Dennis was good on offense. And, you know, for me, I, I thought Vanderbilt was terrific. I think a lot of people thought Vanderbilt was terrific and, and leads to some questions going forward about, you know, where he could be in the rotation in the lineup. But so a lot – oh, and Austin Reeves on clay. So, like, there were so many different, different things that helped that Rui – um, Hachimura making some late shots, but the biggest thing was just getting the result and keeping the hope to actually make some kind of a run because it's the point of the season now with where they are and what the record is and the ulcer break coming up where there has to be some of that result for them to continue kind of the buy-in and the energy and the playing hard and all that. And, and so it was, I think from a Lakers perspective, very encouraging to see that happen. Uh, and, you know, Darius was there in person too. Um, so I'm curious as takeaways. I was there in person. There were a couple of people who after the game were saying, uh, you need to go to every game. And I'm not taking credit for how the Lakers played this game for sure. I was very interested to see how things were going to play out. I like 
there were a lot of questions pregame and I'm sure Mike has a bunch of these conversations every night because I'm there and people are like, oh, hey, what do you think about X? Where do you think Y is going to go in terms of and, and like, what do you think the starting lineup is going to be and X, Y and Z? Right. And so I don't have a reference point for like what the what the vibe of the team is. Right. And, and, and so I'm much less able to comment on that sort of thing. What I will say, though, is like I had very I was very interested on my way to the arena, like what the starting lineup might be. And I actually posited in my head that like Rui and Dennis were probably the best combination of two players you could put into a starting lineup to approximate like what you would get from LeBron. Like their combined talents. Like if LeBron wasn't going to play, right? It's just like, like Dennis's ball handling and ability to absorb some usage and then Rui's size and ability to, to sort of absorb some usage and, and be a scorer. I figured that D'Lo was going to start and, and he did. AD was obviously a given. And then whoever the next guy was, I figured it would be like a defensive guy with some size and, and it was Brown. And, and so going into the game, I was just like, ah, oh, yeah, this makes sense to me. I'm super interested to see what the lineups are when like LeBron James is back and pregame listening to Darwin, he had sort of said like, um, and I think this was off a question that, that Mike asked about like sort of trying to hit the ground running with new players and then whether or not he was going to get to something quickly or if he was going to have to like, like give guys a chance in order to feel them out and and Darwin sort of offered some mixed messages there, but then he did say, well, like, well, when LeBron comes back, that's another new variable that we're going to have to adjust to. So whatever we do now, it's just like that's going to change anyway because LeBron is is coming back. So I I didn't have a great feel for where things were going to go during the game. I was pleasantly surprised with a lot that happened. The game plan execution was at a pretty high level considering the new guys, but the guys who I thought were really locked in on the game plan were guys who you'd expect to be AD Austin. And then in his own way, like Vanderbilt, who to me feels like a guy who is going to succeed in the league and who has succeeded in the league because he has game plan discipline and and, and, like in his own way. And so I'm interested, Pete, normally I'm where you are. I'm on the couch. I'm watching through a TV screen. And so I didn't have all of the angles. Like, what did you see from the game from like a TV perspective and a more distanced view with all the replays and everything else? We just feel like a stylistically completely different team. Uh, The third guy on this team going from Russell Westbrook to D'Angelo Russell, just in terms of how they play point guard, you could almost not be more different in some aspects. They're polar opposites. But in one in which they're similar and that I thought Dilo did a great job of is he took command of I am the lead ball handler in this group. And it was OK. And it was it was he did it. He did it well enough for us to be able to win the game. I think that when LeBron comes in and he moves to that second ball handler and a guy who can operate more as a shooter or as an off ball player, that's going to be something that unlocks a different aspect of his game. He only took, you know, three threes, but he was in a ton of ball screens. He hit some big shots at the end of the game. And that was something that we've talked so much about the last five minutes of the game being more of a skill portion of the game, Mike, than the rest 
rest of the game in context with Russ before D'Lo hit a couple of big time shots and created a, a look for Rui as well, you know, got an open look for him that those are the types of things that down the stretch of the last five minutes, I think that was where we won the game, right? It was tight going into that last last few minutes, but we were able to consistently pull away in, in a way that from my couch, D, it was like a little bittersweet in that I texted you guys afterward. I was like, I wish we had 25 more games to gel than we actually have, uh, but we don't. We're out of runway, Mike. Like you said, not only do we have to get the results, we have to hit the ground running, like Darwin was saying, with these new players in ways where... Guys were kind of running into each other here and there, but there's enough there naturally to have gotten a win in the last five minutes. So certainly a lot to be encouraged by. Well, basically, you can make up for some of the lack of continuity and some of the lack of execution that should be there because of all the new guys with just new inspiration and energy and effort uh, and urgency. And those are Mm -hmm. the three words that Darvin had written on the board in the actual locker room. And they certainly did that. I think something you said about D'Angelo, so I, as we know, like I, I know D'Angelo from his first stint with the Lakers, and whenever the Lakers would go play, first it was Brooklyn, and then the quick stint in Golden State, and then Minnesota, I would usually try to catch up, up with him for at least a minute or two, and so after the game, as we're, as we're walking out of the locker room, he mentioned almost exactly what Pete had said, like he's excited to see what the fit is like when LeBron's on the court, and he can just go in the corner. Um, mm-hmm. at times and what that's going to do to the defense and, and them having to pay attention to him in a different way or how he can attack you know from the weak side and I think that he and the Brian and AD were actually going through what some of those actions would look like um, once the Brian returns so he can he can do what he did last night and I think that the pick and roll chemistry is going to get a lot better with with he and AD and sort of the way that the first couple screens that AD was setting and then rolling it was almost like D'Angelo was just used to playing with Rudy Gobert and wasn't quite willing to make the pass a certain way or, or not willing, wasn't quite comfortable yet with it and knowing where AD wants the ball. And well, can I throw it there? Will he catch it for sure? Like I, I think he will because he's Anthony Davis and he's got great hands. But um, so that kind of stuff, I think, will just get a lot smoother, um, even tonight in Portland um, than it did the first game. But but ultimately, how the team looks is going to be with LeBron and LeBron also settles some of those issues with continuity and offense and what they're running just because he sort of has the master plan in his head anyway. And I, I thought it was interesting that D'Lo's already thinking about that. You know, got the win, that's great. But what's he's he's trying to figure out just what is the best approach. Um, and I think when you have an individual who's new doing that, that's that's helpful as opposed to just, oh, I'm just go out there and I'll play and we'll see what the coach says. Yeah, if they're going to hit the ground running, D, that's essential. That mentality of like, oh, how can this work? Because we only got so much time to figure it out. Yeah, one of the things I wrote during the preseason, I wrote this as silver screen and roll about the idea of conjuring continuity. One of the ways that you do that is by getting guys who know how to play. Both Austin and Vanderbilt mentioned this in their postgame comments about like, well, you know, one of the things we just did was just go out there and play basketball. We don't know all the plays. We'll know all of the actions. This is Vanderbilt talking here. Mm-hmm. But so it's like one thing you can control is your effort and your energy. And then really you're just going out there and playing basketball. And Austin's out there saying like, well, you know, one thing we can do is just we're just trying to play the game the right way, going out there and playing basketball. And it's like, well, Vanderbilt, Austin, Beasley in his own way, LeBron, AD, D'Lo, 
these are all guys that are just like, okay, well, they just sort of know what they're doing within the context of their own mm-hmm. role. Like I'm looking at Beasley even, and he's just like, I'm open from three. I'm shooting it. Oh, this guy is running at me. I'm attack. I'm attacking top foot and I'm attacking a closeout. And it's just like the reads. And I think that this plays into Darwin's scheme a little bit too. Pete, it's just like the reads aren't that complicated. Like mm-hmm. the, the ability of these guys to just sort of play a natural style of basketball where there's not a ton of like read and react like, oh, here's a post split here. What's my read? Oh, is he slipping? Oh, no, he's popping. What's going on here? I, I'm not exactly sure. And I thought that there was an ease in which the new guys were able to apply their own their own individual skill sets to what the Lakers like to do offensively. And so is there going to be more nuance, particularly when LeBron comes back? Yes, because LeBron is this hive mind of an offensive player and he's an offense in and unto himself, right? Where he's just sort of like, I can get the ball here and now that's going to shift the defense in these specific ways. And there definitely are counters and reactions to that. And, and, and so LeBron will add another layer to that, but I, I was happy with the sort of foundational ideas that the players were able to coalesce with in Saturday's game. Me too. And LeBron's going to add an element of force that now that Russ has been traded for D'Lo in particular. We don't have a ton of that from a ball handling perspective. So there's, I think there's going to be a nice balance there, Mike. But one of the things I was worried about about with the Russ trade was the was that idea of force that we have a lot of guys that are smaller, not particularly strong. Jared Vanderbilt, man, what talk to me about him, man? You've got, I think, a wider view of his game, having watched him for for a bit. Seeing it on the court, man, he's delightful uh, in in a number of ways. Tell me what you saw from him. Well, he's the first thing is that he's got a mix of a mix of athleticism that still has more skill than you might think just by looking at him as like an energy guy. Um, I was talking to mm-hmm. our buddy Aaron Larsoul about this the other day, and like he's not he's not a tryhard in the derogatory sense of, of that word, even if, even though sometimes that can be a compliment um, in the right setting. Like if you just go to the gym and someone's just busting his ass and going against you, but he'll whip out a, like the example was that uh, was that beautiful spin move and lay in um, mm-hmm. in transition. Um, he'll whips out something like that once in a while. He'll sort of wait for the defense when he's in the middle of the lane and then, and then go up in two hand dunk uh, instead of just sort of like quick shot, putting a shot when some guys get uncomfortable down there. Um, which shows a certain amount of patience. He he'll just like hit the glass at the right time um, on offense, and then still be able to streak back and get back in transition. So he's, I think he's got some really good basketball instincts on top of his athleticism. And you know he's 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 like a, a Houston kid who went to victory prep there, and then he he did not spend a lot of time in Kentucky um, and didn't necessarily play a ton there, and doesn't go until the forty first overall pick, um, but. So it's like there's pedigree there. Kentucky doesn't just bring anybody in. And yet I think that this is the way there have been some gems that you've gotten out of Kentucky. Um, you being sort of the the global NBA of the guys that got there because of some real talent. But then we're in a, a crunch of playing time because of all the other talent there and then went a little later. And, you know, I'm not saying that he's a future all star, but like he's 23 years old. He's helped the teams that he's been on win games. and. I know for a fact that there are coaches around the league that watch him and are like, I wish he was on my team. 
Um, and, and I think Darvin Ham was one of those guys. Uh, I think that he, when he coached against him in Milwaukee, um, or when Darvin was in Milwaukee, I think he, they played against the Wolves a couple of times and he was like, damn, I love how this guy plays. So, uh, he, he, to me represents some, you know, I, we talked about it before. Like, I think that he would be, I, I would love to see the fit of him starting next to LeBron and AD. I, I recognize that that, that might give a, a little bit less spacing as to some other looks. Like if they kept Troy Brown, who started at the three last game, or Rui to a different extent. I'm curious for your guys' take on that. But uh, but he, we kind of know what Russell is at this point of his of his career, and I think that's that fits this team better than some of the stuff that Westbrook did. Um, we know what the what what like Mo Bamba is to an extent, uh, and although he's got a chance to to similarly show some things um, once he gets cleared, which will be after the Portland game. But Vanderbilt to me is the one that probably people have kind of seen the least and yet will be able to provide the most based on what that expectation is um, as he comes in here as, you know, the non-lottery pick, but uh, the dude who's on a, a lower deal. And and so, yeah, I clearly am excited about Jared Vanderbilt. He can play, Pete. This is sort of what I was getting at in terms of like game plan discipline and a certain amount of skill and, and knowing what to do when you're on the court. I was super intrigued by the fact that he wasn't looking to outlet the ball as a rebounder. Very comfortable with the ball in his hands, yeah. Yeah, he was a grab-and-go guy. And in the aftermath of the first game that LeBron missed after he broke the record, the Lakers were like, they played a pretty slowish game and didn't get out in transition much at all. And part of that was LeBron not playing, but I thought a big part of that too was you know they had made the trade and Russ wasn't there and Russ was a guy who pushed the pace a lot in fact I would argue that the Lakers are second in the league in pace mostly on the back of like mm-hmm. that's how Russ needs to play and mm-hmm. it was a core tenant and the sort of foundational key to how the team wanted to play I don't think the Lakers are gonna finish the league or finish the season second in pace like they might but Vanderbilt is gonna help established transition opportunities where there weren't some before simply off the fact that he's not just going to turn and wait and wait for a guard to get the ball. Like that was one of the things it's like, Oh, I felt like I had a good understanding of what his game was, but that was the part where unless you watch him, I'm guessing like every game, you don't realize how often he's going to do, do that. Mm -hmm. And every time he got a defensive rebound, he was looking to just push. And there was a guard there and he was just like, nah, just get wide. Like I'll get it to you eventually and dribble pitch and we can run handoff action or you can trail and yada, yada, yada. And so that was the part of his game where I was most intrigued by. And he adds a layer of passing on top of that too, right? It's it's the ball handling and the grab and go. He had that spin move in transition for the layup. And then a play or two later, he made the same move, but his defender cut him off a bit and he kicked it out to Beasley. And Beasley had a lane to the basket and uh, drove to the rack and finished over the top uh, for a layup. And that sort of just creating a good look for a high caliber scorer out of nothing and not having to you know face a five on five type of defense that's super important and i love that you brought up that transition point because we don't have to be second in pace to be effective but i do think that there are some fast break elements of this team that it's still a place where we can get a lot of production and we don't want to lose all of that we want to keep a lot of the good of that so let's take a break come back i'd love to talk some more of the new guys 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So that comfort with the ball in his hands and passing ability and ability to make reads really stood out to me. And that as indicative of an overall IQ. This was on the defensive end as well. One of the things the Lakers did in that game was we were letting their bigs shoot whatever they wanted in terms of jump shots like Draymond, Looney, Kuminga, knock yourself out. Take as many of those as you'd like. And there are times where an off-ball defender in particular can react and help his team knowing that that's the game plan. There were a couple times where Vanderbilt like would cut off a drive or help one pass away, where maybe you normally wouldn't help one pass away, but that's the guy you're guarding is one of those guys that that's part of the game plan. And, you know, a play that would have been a layup for Golden State was a play where he, they had to kick it out or move the ball. You know, nothing ended up happening of note, but it was because Vanderbilt did that. Now, if he wasn't the worst plus minus guy on the team, uh, he was he was right there with it. Um, and I'm curious about what lineups happen going forward. But Mike, the start or off the bench, one of, I think, the stronger arguments for Vanderbilt off the bench is that he'll have a little bit more of that ability to attack and transition, like D said, while adding, I think, a level of, of defensive seriousness to those groups too. So I'm super, I like, I want to play him as much as he can. My buddy, Anthony is a big, uh, big D'Lo fan. And he watched Minnesota for the last couple of years. And one of the things he says about, about Vanderbilt is he's similar to Caruso in that, like after a certain minute point, you you might be wearing him out because he plays hard all the time. So I'm curious to see how that works out, but yeah, man, that, that guy's going to add a lot to what we do. I didn't know you were buddies with Penny Hardaway, bro. <laughs> no, no, no. Get some info on that. Like um, I am. Yeah, I, I get the, I get that. I and I, I think that I'm kind of. I just want to see. I have this idea in my head for him starting about just the type of that type of energy, helping the way that LeBron and AD play. Um, even if it's sometimes it can, it could be a little bit limiting. And you can't just focus on that because it's because he's not just energy, as, as I was trying to say before. I think there are also some mm-hmm. skill and some IQ things. But but, yeah, you, you can make you make a good case for why he would help stabilize that bench unit and make sure that the defense is at a certain level. Um, and, you know, essentially splitting him with AD in some senses for that purpose, because who else is going to come off the bench and really um, make that kind of an impact? Are you going to have it like, is it going to be Mo Bamba? Is it going to be Wenyan Gabriel um, that is anchoring things in a certain way? And, and that's probably a little bit harder to bet on. But I still think that there's going to be a certain amount of stagger of LeBron in AD's minutes mm-hmm. where 
LeBron can can sort of anchor in as a, in that defensive center spot if he's got a guy like Vanderbilt um, or even Gabriel, like somebody to run around and do that work too. So it's like when we're going through the lineups with the new guys that have come in, I like both the starting group and the bench group more. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's it's not like there are some there were some lineups with the previous before they did the before the trade deadline that we just knew were not going to work right no matter what and i think there are probably fewer of those combinations Mm -hmm. now and and so that almost which i guess what i'm basically telling myself is that it doesn't matter um as much right what the which one of the if vanderbilt starts comes off the bench or if it's shooter or reeves which i think you can make a good case for Mm -hmm. both uh, and Shooter played great, by the way. I'm used three for four from three. He's attacking. He's getting. He's doing all the grifting stuff to get to the free throw line, which um, Darius had a good view on from atop the lower bowl. Um, it, those I, the grifting stuff, I think, is always a little bit um, more fun to watch in person. I guess it depends on the angles, but and I don't like the grifting, but it, it ends up helping. <laughs> like. So uh, yeah, I I've just talked myself into a pretzel a little bit by saying that I'm comfortable with multiple different lineups uh, in in what they have going on now. Well, I think that's a a story now, D. I think our lineups are a lot less sensitive than uh, they were prior to the trade deadline. And that's important. But one of the things AD spoke to in postgame was having a second big guy out there helps, right? Like even in the Vanderbilt and Gabriel groups, there were things that uh, they had a nice uh, high low or great bounce pass from uh, Vanderbilt to Wenyan for a dunk, but also just on the boards, right? Wenyan's not the only guy that has size that's competing for a rebound and he's trying to box someone out and there comes Vanderbilt swooping in, right? Having those two big groups are are really helpful. And I think that with the skill of our guards, it is, uh, I think that there's more space for that now. It definitely is. I have strong ideas about lineups. We don't need to get into them now. We'll probably do a whole pod on that sort, sort of thing. But I have, I have strong ideas about who should start and I have strong ideas about two or three different bench groups that I think can and should be built out very specific ways in order to optimize a 10 or 11 man rotation. What's the underlying thought that's kind of fueling the, this is what I really believe. A certain amount of balance between skill and power and offense and defense and balancing out usage within the groups. And and, and so I really want to highlight the the fact that you have a certain number of connecting players that are on this team whose either skills or games or their approach in terms of how they play are bridges between guys who are more usage-based players. And I think you can naturally exploit the fact that some guys want to take on usage, some guys are comfortable taking on less usage and some guys their only state of being is that they are usage players right and so lebron and ad they are usage players d'angelo russell is a usage player if you sort of when you're building out lineups then around those those guys expect so those are three starters i want connecting players around them way more than i want more guys who are usage players, even if they're usage players who are comfortable scaling down, right? And so Dennis is a great example of this to me. He, when LeBron has been out, he's been great at taking on more, like more usage. Thomas Bryant was like that as well, where it's just like, AD's out, I'll take on usage, I'll score, I'll be a finisher. 
Rui, Rui is another example of this. Rui's a guy who can take on usage. He's been, Mike, you pointed this out when, when the Lakers got, got him, but he's primarily been and seen himself as a scorer in this league, a guy who is anywhere between 15 and 18 points a night comfortably and is can handle the ball some, create an isolation. He's not really a high assist guy. He's out there to score. Now, he can do other things. He can rebound. He can defend some. And he's already made plays like that. But I think if you actually started Dennis, D'Lo, LeBron, Rui, and AD, you have basically put five usage guys yeah. out on the floor together. Mm-hmm. And you're then asking at least two of them to scale down. And the two who do scale down may not be the guys you actually want to scale down. And one of the guys in particular is like Anthony Davis. So I thought Mm. two seasons ago, like the season after the championship season, like I think AD looked looked around the locker room and was just like, oh, look, there's there's Dennis Schroeder. There's Montrez Harrell. There's Mark Gasol. I could I could scale my role down, still be Anthony Davis and still impact the game. But I can do maybe a little bit less and the team around me can do more and we're still going to be a great team. And to start that season, we saw some of that. The Lakers were like 15 and five or whatever they were through 20 games. And AD was scoring like 20 points a night and getting like eight or nine rebounds. And like they were doing just just fine. But this version of the team, guys, like. AD needs to be like sort of an MVP-ish level Mm. player or a top eight five player in the league. And so I don't want other usage guys around him all Mm -hmm. that often in, well, particularly in the starting group because LeBron and D'Lo are already there. And so maybe I'm giving away the pod before we do do the pod, but I, I, I have ideas about this stuff because I think that Mike Darwin has used the word balance a bunch of times. And like, I've got new guys. What are you looking for within the lineups? Like, oh, I'm looking for balance and I want to find some defense. I want to find this. I want to find that. One of the things I'm hoping is in that balancing equation is usage and what guys natural state of being on the court is, because I think that's an important part of building out lineup success. So I think as a, this won't surprise either of you, but I'm just thinking about AD specifically um, and, and with these new players coming in and he had this weird game against Golden State where, you know, I think I want to give Draymond some credit. Uh, Draymond is probably at least in the top couple players of how to try and impact AD and Draymond does all this little stuff. I was I was talking to one of the Lakers assistant coaches who pointed this out to me, and I didn't even really realize it until was focusing more on it. But just the places that he puts his lower hand, like on AD's body, you know, when he's going up to shoot, and like so, the top hand is is like, hey, look, look, ref, I'm not following; it's straight up. And then his bottom hand is like shoving into his hip, you know, and it's or it's pulling on him in the other direction. It's it's kind of like he's doing all the stuff that we've talked about in the past that LeBron does with his body to get an advantage on offense. And some of the great defenders, uh, Pete is nodding his head knowingly, you know, really do mm-hmm. all of that stuff. And and you kept AD. So it's like it doesn't always look like a foul, but you could tell that from the way that AD's body moved that the shot wasn't normal. And I think that that was a lot of that stuff was going on. And once the refs allowed it, then it kept going on and Draymond just kept pushing the envelope. And that's part of the reason why um, AD was, what did he end up being? Five for 19. Now, a part of it was also that, 
he was settling for some tough shots in the first half and just face up jumpers and fadeaways in the baseline. And Golden State was was clearly directing their game plan all towards him um, as well. They should have with no LeBron and with new players. And and that opened up, I thought, some of the arenas for or the areas for other guys to attack. But I don't think AD's going to play like that again tonight. Uh, certainly not against Portland, who is does not have the same type of defenders um, or the same type of scheme. And I I wanted to ask you guys about this because it looked like they were doing something to at least get him downhill more in the second half. And and like he he is still. He's feeling good physically in terms of his foot. Like, that's not even an issue. I asked him again last night. So that, to me, is a good thing. It's not that it's that. Uh, are his game legs there 100%? No, not yet. Um, I think that'll continue to come. But that that's my preamble to try and get your guys' reaction to AD um, as, to, as to where you saw him in that game and where you see him for these next couple before the break. So just to start, Golden State's one of the great defensive teams at shutting down the paint, right? And uh, I've been talking recently about this idea of winning on the ground versus winning in the air. And they're one of the great win on the ground teams, of which Draymond and that uh, nefarious lower hand, you know, offhand is an example of that. Draymond's going to win on the ground with strength and technique and IQ and anticipation that is going to impact the the shot when AD gets to an elevation that Draymond cannot get to, right? That's the only place that Draymond can beat AD because if the if all things are equal and he gets above a certain point, it's it's elementary at that point. Um, and so when Golden State decides to shut down the paint, they're one of the very best teams in the league at doing that. And I thought they really competed last night. And so just wanted to give a little credit where credit is due. One of the things I was talking about, D, and we differed in opinion on this, is... When that happens, AD's got that pick and pop, and it doesn't even have to be for three, but there are a lot of times where it's that 18, 20 footer where against that style of defense that's really uh, compressed into the paint where that's just automatic. And he hasn't been hitting that. Like I've seen my thoughts on AD after watching him for a few years is when he has several games where he's kind of going through the motions and not really assertive offensively it takes him a while to get back up i i'm optimistic that this game was a catalyst game and that he's that he may be playing better going forward because he really tried he competed in that game against golden state he just wasn't very good and but i think that type of game can catalyze that that sort of uh that sort of play in him. But for me, it's like, you got to be able to knock down your jump shots. You know, if they're taking that away, that's what's so unstoppable about him is that, oh, you're going to compress the paint, just bucket after bucket after bucket from mid range. And, but when he doesn't trust his jumper, I thought that we were over penetrating into the paint, which is one thing I was looking forward to from like having more shooting is not doing that as much. But uh, yeah, that's something that I think is important to AD's game against those teams that can really compress down there. No, that's 100% true. AD, like most great players too, is one of those guys where he's not, and great players say will, will say this, and it's a lie. It's a lie. I'm talking right to the mic microphone here. It's a lie every single time. You hear a great player say, oh, I just took what the defense gave me. They're lying. <laughs> great players do what they want, and they make it seem like, well, that's what the defense gave me. It's just like, no, like I took that. I took it. I don't care what you're trying to do. I'm going to do it anyway. And AD seemed very intent on being like, you know what? I'm getting to the damn basket today. Like after the first half, especially when the jumper wasn't falling. And so, yes, Pete, that 
pick and pop jumper was there all game for him. And that's not the shot that he wanted. And so he wasn't going to that. And, and to your point, it's just like he, he suffered from an efficiency standpoint. He like, because of that, I also thought he had like a game within the game with Draymond. I also thought he had a game within the game with the referees. And it was like, no MFers, you're going to call one of these inside eventually. And he never got the whistle at all. And so after the game, he basically said, like, it wasn't going for me offensively. So I changed up and I went to defense and I tried to get every rebound I could. And I tried to impact every shot that that the Warriors were taking. AD at his best, Mike, he is one of those guys where everything seems easy and against the Warriors, it seemed like everything was just a little bit harder. And I do think that, as Pete said, it that sort of like, I'm going to keep banging my head against the wall. I actually like that from AD at times because the opposite of that is, oh, well, the, I guess I'll just drift out here. Mm. My oh, you want like you're taking away the paint. I'll pop. I'll 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 take this 18 foot jumper because that's the thing that's there. And like I'm when he's doing that with confidence, Pete, then like I'm totally there with you. Like I want him taking that shot because I think it's going to open up so many other aspects of of his game. But against the Warriors, like I felt like. Oh, well, he's diving because he thinks that this is like the way to get after it this game. And so I was I was more than happy to see him sort of bang his head against the wall this game in order to get the breakthrough that I think is going to pay off Mm. in like like in the bigger picture. I also thought Darwin made a good point post game where he said A.D. diving was occupying defenders in ways Mm -hmm. where like it did create other things for the guards. And I. I thought a couple of those interior baskets that D'Lo got where he hits a fading jumper or he gets that and one drive like with under six, six minutes left. It's it's like some of that is because other guys are occupying sure. the the defenders and, and it's D'Lo's going to be able to feast a little bit in these environments where it's just like, oh, you've got a guard on me. I'm. He's one of the OGs, like Laker guys, where it's just like, oh, you got a PhD from Big Guard University. Like Austin has that too. It's just like, and he's gonna shoulder some dudes and get guys off off of him. And it's like AD's gonna help with that because he's he's occupying the bigger dude. So just a quick thought on Portland tonight. So Jeremy Grant is questionable with in concussion protocol. Um, they haven't played since the tenth and. It was weird because he played in that game. He played 37 minutes. And, and so I, I was, I'm still a little bit unclear as to what's going on with him. I'm going to find out when I get to the arena. Uh, they shut down Nurkic. So that, you know, that means they're, they're just a little bit weaker um, in the front court, even though Nurk is a guy that AD can attack, you know, quite well. But so is Drew Eubanks. Like that, that's not somebody that I think AD is worrying a ton about. And then, you know, they of course have Lillard who's playing great right now and Simons who can get hot from three. But the Lakers have been pretty good with screen roll coverages in the past and defensively on those guys. I'm curious how that works with some of this new personnel. Um, and because you do have to be on the same page like they were with with Jordan Poole up until they weren't in the fourth quarter. <laughs> yes. 
17 straight points. Um, and then with Clay, where Austin did a great job there. So um, I'm, I think it's it's a very winnable game, uh, even even if it's in a tough environment. Then the Lakers, of course, won that super weird game where they were down by 20 and charged back to win late, largely with LeBron leading the way. Uh, but you know, Pete, I, I just think a very important game for for the Lakers to keep not just getting back closer to 500 in the standings, but to keep the mentality and the mindset and all of that good feeling um, going and, and, you know, not taking a step back um, at this point, because every step back now is magnified uh, exponentially. Yeah. We're just about out of, out of runway. So we got to keep it going. And we've got one of the things we've lost is that continuity, that knowledge of the last group. And they knew how to play together to a certain degree that it's going to take some time for this group to learn. That's why I wish that we had more time for this group together, but a really encouraging start. So uh, hopefully let's get another win tonight. Um, We'll be back tomorrow to talk about it. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. And the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Good. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe, hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, miss it. Unbelievable. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. Add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.